Now, people are still making the mistake of, oh, I don't see race. I don't see skin color. I'm colorblind. Well, Jesus gives sight to the blind. We see ethnicity. And it's beautiful. <laughs> so see ethnicity. You celebrate ethnicity. Don't fear and don't ignore ethnicity. And welcome back to The Narrative. This is Center for Christian Virtue President Aaron Fair here with my co-host David Mahan. Uh, great to be back with you once again uh, on this episode. Uh, you know, there's for those of you that caught last week's uh, episode, uh, you got to hear John Stone Street um, unpack uh, really uh, the worldviews of what's attacking kids. It's one of the episodes I think we've gotten the most feedback from uh, just encouraging people and um, uh, uh, encouraging people on the one hand that there's organizations like the Colson Center doing uh, such great work and, and, and breaking down what's happening. But it's also discouraging when you hear uh, the reality uh, of what's happening, especially to kids. Uh, and so uh, grateful to have John uh, with us last week. Uh, have a really special episode for you uh, this week. We have uh, Dr. Alveda King uh, here to, to share with us. Um, we had uh, Alveda at our, uh, at our March for Life uh, just a few weeks ago. Um, and, and she was uh, an inspiration. I'll say, I remember, uh, at, actually at our pastor's breakfast, um, she just, she walked into the room, uh, and of course everybody, you can't miss her. She walks in and you're like, oh my goodness, she's here. And she walks right on stage and starts singing hymns, um, takes the mic away from the, <laughs> the speaker. Cause it's a room full <laughs> of pastors. Uh, and it was, it was really, uh, just, just powerful. Um, but David, you got to hear her a little bit. Any, any highlights when you saw her at the, at the March? No, I just, whenever you see her, it, you know, she's awesome communicator, but it's the legacy that she represents, you know, with yeah. all the, you know, cultural and historic revisionism to see her there and talk about her uncle, uh, you know, uh, the Reverend Dr. King, um, who, uh, you know, it, it's just amazing to watch. And I, you, you watch the younger generations, the older generations, everybody can kind of gravitate to that. It's just like a cultural moment every time yeah. she's in, in the space. <laughs> no, that's right. Well, and, and it, it just says something that somebody with her platform, her background, um, has dedicated herself uh, to the cause of life, to fighting abortion. Right. Um, and, and honestly, I think that's as we you know kind of turn to talk about what's happening today in the country. You know, obviously, everything is about the election right now, the November 8th election coming up. Um, you know, it's it's really I'm starting to get that election buzz feel in Ohio, right? That that was I, I said that during the primaries, what because we had this weird split primary because of the redistricting nonsense uh, in Ohio, it, it hadn't really started to feel like election season yet, right? Um, but now it is. You know, the ads are in full swing. Uh, the 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 so events. You know, all of the candidates are coming through. I think actually right now Tim Scott and uh, Tom Cotton are in Ohio campaigning for JD Vance. Um, you know, it is full on. We actually have. Uh, we've sold out of uh, sold out. We we've, we have have to make another run of voter guides. We've had so many voter guide orders uh, uh, at the, the office. And so um, we're actually printing thousands and thousands of more right now because uh, so many churches have wanted voter guides. It's, you know, it's a good problem to have, but oh, yeah. uh, it, it, it certainly uh, shows the energy for it. Um, but we want to play for, for, for you just real quick, a, a, a clip uh, that I feel like, so captures uh, what's what's at stake and really the the worldview of the left, why it's so important we have people like Alveda King uh, who are are speaking so clearly on abortion because the left has made abortion such the, the center of their mission. And this is this is Stacey Abrams who's running for governor 
in uh, in Georgia uh, speaking on MSNBC about the abortion issue. Let's play that clip. You're running for governor of Georgia. Uh, I would assume, maybe incorrectly, but while abortion is an issue, it nowhere reaches the level of interest of voters in terms of the cost of gas, food, bread, milk, things like that. What can a governor, what could you do as governor to alleviate the concerns of Georgia voters about those livability, daily, hourly issues that they're confronted with? But let's be clear. Having children is why you're worried about your price for gas. It's why you're concerned about how much food costs. For women, this is not a reductive issue. You can't divorce being forced to carry an unwanted pregnancy from the economic realities of having a child. And so these are it's important for us to have both and conversations. We don't have the luxury of reducing it or separating them out. But we also have to talk about what a governor can do. A governor can address housing prices. A governor can address the cost of education. A governor can put money into the pockets of everyday hardworking Georgians instead of giving tax cuts to the wealthy. That's what I talk about on the trail, and that's what's resonating. But let's not pretend that women, half the population, especially those of childbearing age, they understand that having a child is absolutely an economic issue. It is only politicians who see it as simply another cultural conversation. It is a real biological and economic imperative conversation that women need to have. It, it, literally, it's, it, it's a loss of, of words that, that their position, Stacey Abrams' position is that having kids is an, we, we talk about, uh, we talk about this all the time. We said this at the March for Life, uh, like the worldview out there that views children as a burden, not a blessing. Right. This is this is their mentality that kids are are a drain on you. Um, and it's it's the reason the, the idea that the reason we have such high inflation, the reason we have so many, you know, so many economic woes is because we have too many kids. Right. I mean, the, the, the problem is too many kids. Right. Uh, I, I just want and, and I think, you know, all this talk about Ivy the King being on today and le- legacy uh, and revisionism and uh, history these new socialist Marxist branded <laughs> Democrats would have everybody think these, you know, a lot of young people don't know black folks weren't always about killing our babies. My grandmother, she would say, baby, black folks don't kill their babies. I mean, this is what she would say when, when I would tell her about, you know, my wife being the director of a crisis pregnancy center, this, I want to, I want to read a quote. I want to read a quote. Uh, those advocates of, taking life prior to birth do not call it killing or murder they call it abortion they further never talk about aborting a baby because that would imply something human rather they talk about aborting the fetus fetus sounds less than human and therefore can be justified that was jesse jackson uh in the (laughs) 1970s the reverend jesse jackson social justice warrior uh, icon, even to this day, was pro-life and was a, a regular speaker for the right to life. New. Here's another quote. What happens to the mind of a person? What happens to the mind of a person and the moral fabric of a nation that accepts the aborting of the life of a baby without a pang of conscience? What kind of a person and what kind of a society will have 20 years hence if life can be taken so casually. That was 1977, Right to Life News. Yeah. Reverend Dr. Jesse Jackson, I, no. th- you listen to this woman, you think, oh, we're all supposed to be pro-choice. Uh, here, here's another one. 
Jet Magazine, which, you know, for all of the African-Americans out there, y'all know back in the day, everybody had a Jet Magazine on the coffee table. It was a, it was on every church. <laughs> I, everybody at the at the hair salon had a Jet Magazine. Um, the question uh, on, on the uh, on the front page was legal abortion. Is it genocide or a blessing in disguise? That, that was what we were talking about. And, and right there in that article, Jesse Jackson clearly said abortion is genocide. Uh, the, the comedians, right? All of pop culture was on board up until about the 80s when these jokers decide they want to get political and, and, and run for office in a Democrat party. But, but you've got Dick Gregory said, my answer to genocide, there is ample evidence that government programs designed for poor Black folks emphasize uh, birth control and abortion availability, both measures obviously designed to limit the Black population. That's Dick Gregory, 1971. The Black Panthers weren't for this stuff because they knew about the eugenics uh, uh, plans uh, uh, that were behind all of this uh, pro-choice movement. And to listen to this woman, you know, uh, with a straight face, say what she just, it's, it's utterly ridiculous, but I just don't know if without the context, if people can understand how ridiculous it really is. Yeah, and and again, it it shows, and actually, you know, this is one of these things where like the importance of just being will, being able and willing to say the obvious, right? right. The the left tries to make uh, easy things difficult, right, uh, in order to advance their agenda, right? And and it's because you take something like abortion, uh, and and you you take something like the Black Lives Matter movement, right? The, the, the idea that the Black Lives Matter movement is ardently pro-abortion <laughs> is all you need to know to, to, to say that it, it undermines their message right now. We, we've, we've said this before. In the last 10 years, if you did away with abortion in Ohio, there would be at least 100,000 more Black voters in Ohio that, that have been snuffed out. Uh, and I say at least because we don't know how many fathers, we know the, the, the race of the mother, we don't know the race of the father, right? So it, it, it probably would be more. Yeah. Um, and, and so yeah. the, the reality, if you want to increase representation, increase the voice, increase the power, then you, the step one is stop killing the kids, come right? On, come on, it, yeah. Because Black Lives Matter, according to New York City Health Department reports between 2012 and 2016, Black mothers aborted 136,000 babies and only gave birth to 118,000 babies. Uh, Why? Because Black lives matter in New York. Uh, now you compare that to 5,600 Black, uh, Blacks have been killed by the KKK since its founding. So that's you know 5,600 Blacks killed by the KKK uh, since its founding. Approximately 22 unarmed blacks are killed by the police per per year 22 unarmed blacks are killed so that's the whole reason for black lives matter right because we right. got blacks undiscriminately being killed in the streets um listen, this is the least of our problems in the black community if we want to get above 13.5 percent right if you want to have some political power we have to stop killing ourselves period point blank Amen. I, well, actually, you're, you're reminding me, uh, for those of you who are enjoying this part of the conversation, you got to go back and listen to the Wilford Riley uh, podcast we did in season one. Uh, again, I will warn you, uh, Wilford, for, for a Center for Christian Virtue podcast, Wilford's language is not always uh, on brand for us, uh, but his points and his data is indisputable. 
Wilford, um, cut, he cusses for me, family. Yeah. Let me just be real with y'all. Like, I, y'all can judge me if you want to. I don't care. But, you know, Wilford yeah. cusses for days. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and and honestly, when you see someone like Stacey Abrams say this with a straight face, it makes you want to cuss. It makes it, it drives you crazy. And it and it also shows, though, I mean, the one thing that she said that I agree with um, is that these social issues and the economic issues are intertwined, right? Yeah. Um, and for them... For the left, for the, the Marxist movement, David, as, as, as you rightfully pointed out, uh, they need, they, they enact their fiscal policy through social change, right? Through, yeah. through social uh, and cultural norms that create, you know, class tension, right? That create, yeah. um, that, that separate children from their parents, right? Take, take children away from their parents so you don't have those family connections, uh, so that the government can educate the child in their worldview, right? That was that was the thing that we talked about at the state school board that came out, which was you actually had these counselors and school administrators confessing on the record, confessing it and proudly proclaiming that their policy is to not tell parents what they're doing with their kids, right? Right. right. This is like you, you for for those, and again, I, I've come back to this time and time again. It's why we we changed the name to Center for Christian Virtue. And why we're willing to talk about economic issues is because you can't separate these two things. And when we try to, we're just playing into the left's games, right? When we try to say all we're going to talk about is abortion. Well, no, it's, it's their radical abortion views and the radical views of children that are driving their economic policies, uh, that are taking property away from people, raising taxes, causing inflation, all those things. Yeah. yeah. So I, I do, though, I, we want to play one other clip for you because I actually feel like this plays into that same that, that same narrative. Uh, uh, what, what we were just talking about of, um, you know, being willing to, to just call the obvious obvious, right? To, to, to not be willing to back down uh, to the, the left's lies and being, you know, this is absolutely insane, they're, the, the way they're driving their pro-abortion agenda. And actually, the, the, you've sort of seen this rise of this happening more and more uh, of candidates being willing to push back uh, against uh, the media narratives yeah, and not being afraid. Yeah. And and maybe the person that's doing this best is Carrie Lake, who's running for governor in Arizona. And again, for, for you guys who know me, know I used to uh, live in Arizona. I interacted with Carrie a few times when she was a Fox, uh, a local Fox uh, anchor uh, at Fox 10 there in, in Phoenix. Um, this was not the Carrie Lake I knew. And so when I heard she was running for governor, I was pretty skeptical. But the way she's handling the media and the way she's not backing down from the press is masterful and it's something that every political candidate and not just political candidate but anybody who speaks to these issues uh should not should not be bullied uh into uh kowtowing to the, the left narrative so let's go ahead and run that clip let's talk about election deniers here's 150 examples of democrats denying election results oh wow look at this this is from this is from uh joe biden's press secretary Reminder, Brian Kemp stole the gubernatorial election from Georgians and Stacey Abrams. Democrats saying that. Is that an election denier? Oh, look at this. Just heard Republican Ryan Costello said it would be difficult for Stacey Abrams to win because she lost her state bid, but yet she's still claiming she never lost. This is outright Hillary Clinton. Trump is an illegitimate president. Is she an election denier? This one says, was the 2016 election legitimate it now definitely is a question worth asking that's the los angeles times so it's okay for democrats to question elections
but it's not okay for Republicans. It's a crock of BS. Every one of you knows it. We have our freedom of speech, and we're not going to relinquish it to a bunch of fake news propagandists. If you want a copy of these, I'm sure that we're, Anthony would help you get a copy and help you learn how to be journalists, but look it up. It's been happening for a long time. Since 2000, people have questioned the legitimacy of our elections. And all we're asking is that in the future, we don't have that have to happen anymore. Okay. When I'm governor, excuse me, when I'm governor, we're going to make sure we have honest elections. We want the Democrats, the Independents, and the Republicans to all know that their vote counted. We want fair, honest, and transparent elections. And we're going to deliver that for the people. But just remember, guys, this is one page after Hillary Clinton says George W. Bush was selected president, not elected. So let's start, if you're going to start throwing around terms like election denier, let's remember who the other election deniers were, Hillary Clinton and all the Democrats. That was, that was masterful. And it, and it I, I don't know, about, like when I saw this clip, I said, thank you, right? <laughs> like, it, again, like the, 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 the media has been using these, these same basic tactics again and again, like uh, to, to, uh, to try to stifle and silence silence candidates, bully them into, uh, into silence. And, you know, I remember when Kaylee McEnany spoke at our gala a few years ago, and she talked about how their strategy was offense only, right? They, they weren't going to, it, it's one thing. I really mean this, like with, with certain people, and we want to be this way. We want to be respecters of persons, uh, at, at CCB. And it's one thing if somebody's asking an earnest question, right. And, and coming and trying to have an honest conversation, but so often today, especially national media, but even even local media, they are trying to drive for an agenda. Maybe that agenda is advancing a political point, and often it is. But even more often than that, it's trying to drive a, a financial agenda of getting the most salacious and embarrassing thing they can out of somebody to drive clicks. Um, and and that's that's not an earnest conversation. And so we shouldn't treat it as such. Uh, and that's what I th thought Carrie Lake did so well there. Yeah, thing thing I love just that one statement. You know, I think the brother was named Anthony. Yeah, uh, he said, you know, contact Anthony and he can help you learn how to be journalists. <laughs> that that's critical. You know, again, I don't know if this generation knows that there's a difference between a political commentator, right? We're 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 commentating on politics mm -hmm. right now, right. policy right now. I'm not a journalist. I I don't I don't I don't say that I'm a journalist. But when you are a journalist, you're supposed to be about journalism. Tell the story that many people were unable to be there to know the facts about, and then let folks sort it out on their own. Um, these people were clearly trying to corner her into a narrative that they established. And she was like, nah, I already knew you're going to do that. And Anthony <laughs> helped me and he's going to help you learn how to be journalists. I mean, it was absolutely phenomenal. Nobody is about not having IDs. I, I remember I saw a, a piece where they went into the inner city and they said, well, you know, they want to, you know, get rid of the requirement to have IDs because, you know, you all can't find uh, where to go get your IDs. And they're like, that's ridiculous. Who said that? <laughs> and, and I love the fact that she said this isn't about Republicans or independents or Democrats. We all deserve to have free and fair elections. That's at the core of who we are as Americans. And um, and, and I just man, she, it was masterful. No, no, it was great. Well, and, and again, even to, to, to that point, David, you know, this is apparently uh, Stacey Abrams. Uh, hour today. But, you know, Stacey Abrams, go back to flashback to Georgia when Georgia passed their voter ID law a couple years ago. And Stacey Abrams called and the media went along with it, saying this is voter suppression. This is they're trying to take your vote. They're trying to silence you. Right. And what do you see happening in Georgia right now? 
after they pass their voter ID law, they have record early voting numbers in Georgia right now. These things don't suppress votes. Right. They, 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 they don't like having secure elections doesn't suppress. It stops cheating. Yeah. But the, it, the it, only way, the only the only tool in their tool belt they have to get African-American and Hispanic votes and they're losing both uh, record record turnout for conservatives and Republicans last time. Um, and there's a reason for that. But I feel like the only tool they have in their tool belt is race. So and so thinks you're, uh, uh, you know, so and so is racist. So and so thinks that you are less than. So and so is trying to keep you down. That it's it's over and over and over in every political season. It is infuriating, um, and I think people are really finally starting. It's, it's like this whole gender stuff that we 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 keep having to deal with here. The more extreme they get, the more they reveal who they really are, what they're about, and people right. get sick of it. And and that's what's happening with these socialist Democrats right now. And and again, you you even look at, um, you know, the, these all of our inner cities have been run by by Democrats and liberals for years, and and violence and drug use are hitting crazy levels, right? And and it's getting to the point that it's like you guys, your your actual policies are the things that the, the left's actual policies are the things that are driving it, and that all the evidence is there for anyone who will look. Uh, well, we're gonna have a great conversation with Alveda King. I can't wait to have her on. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back here on The Narrative. Christian business owners today face more unique and challenging threats than ever before. As corporate America and chambers of commerce all pray to woke capitalism, Christians in the marketplace need an advocate to protect their First Amendment freedoms. As Ohio's only Christian chamber of commerce, the Christian Business Partnership stands in the gap to advocate for, to educate, and to celebrate Christian business owners. Joining the partnership also allows businesses to provide their employees with health care insurance, workers' compensation, and exclusive banking and educational discounts. To find out more and to join, go to ccv.org slash cbp. That's ccv.org slash cbp. This is CCV President Aaron Baer here with my co-host David Mahan, and we have an incredible guest for you this week. Uh, fresh off of our uh, March for Life, our keynote speaker at, at both the March and the Pastors Breakfast, we have Dr. Alveda King with us here. Uh, Dr. King, thank you so much for, for being with us. Thank you for all you do. Uh, and thank you for all you've done for the pro-life movement. Well, thank you for this opportunity. And I'm so glad to greet everyone. And I want to encourage everyone to continue on in faith and keep those attitudes positive, And we just keep moving ahead. That's Amen. right. So, Dr. King, you know, thinking back when, when we had this March for Life and all the momentum there, and, and, and we talked a lot about, you know, where the pro-life movement goes from here. But I want to kind of look back and, and you know, looking at basically 49, nearly 50 years of Roe v. Wade and what seemed like an impossible political uh, movement uh, to an accomplishment to happen to have a, a, a precedent like that overturned. What do you think was the sort of some of the secrets to the success of the pro-life movement uh, as we, we look back on, on how we were able to get Roe v. Wade overturned? I will say this to you, and I'll count you in this group. It's the spirit of the young people who entered into the movement with us. I'm 72 years old. And the prayers began to reinvigorate us. And there were even some who were very young that said, we're the generation who will see the end to Roe v. Wade. Now, I believed it in faith, held on to it. And so for the last few years before Roe v. Wade was overturned, I began to watch 
what was happening around us. And so when all of the, all the justices and judges were appointed by the 45th president of the United States, when they were appointed, I said, wow, this could change this thing on the state level. Absolutely. And actually it did. And then that pushed us forward really to the federal level and finally the Supreme Court. So that's why I say we have to be encouraged. I never thought that it would not happen. I began to believe firmly I would see it happen. Mm. And of course, now we have seen that success. Now, moving forward, as we all said at the march recently, we're going to have to do more now, not less. And our pregnancy care centers need us. We need state legislation that's going to be very important. That's why even with midterm coming up, midterm elections, it's important that we find the spirit and the heart to ask God to give us men and women who will take offices and the governors and state legislators and all, all the way down to the mayors, to the boards of education, the county. We have to have people who value life, not just from the womb to the tomb, but even into eternity. And to get those messages aligned when we vote, that's just going to be very important. That's right. Dr. King, you said something really interesting there. You brought up the our 45th president of the United States, Donald Trump. Um, and in so many ways, you know, we, we could talk about how he's changed the electorate. Um, but something just jumped out to me in the last uh, Senate debate here in Ohio was when, you know, J.D. Vance, uh, you know, even in a general election, typically we were used to seeing pro-life candidates run really hard pro-life in the primary. And then in the general, they kind of run away from it. J.D. Vance isn't doing that um, in, in, in this race. Um, and uh, in large part, that seems like a result of President Trump having not done that. Um, what was it with the 45th president that that set him apart, uh, made him different uh, in terms of actually holding to the pro-life promises he made? Uh, you were you were uh, around this administration quite a bit. So what what was different in this presidency compared to others that made promises that didn't always follow through? I have a book. The name of it is Why Trump? Just Why Trump by Alveda King. And in that book, I talk about how President Trump looked at the Christian community. And when he looked at our community, he said, Christians, what's happening with you? You have the power. You should have the voice. I'll take the muzzle off. And remember, uh, with religious freedom, he made it possible for people of spirit and of faith to speak out and tell the truth boldly with courage. And he emboldened us. And many begin to have that type of courage to speak out in what's known as the faith community. So that's one thing I observed that he did. Interestingly enough, somebody asked him, well, you had a lot to do with overturning Roe v. Wade. How do you feel about that? He said, I didn't do that. God did. I thought that was amazing, that type of response. So the really, the real responsibility is on people of faith, not just pastors and church leaders, but all of us to have courage and to stand. And sometimes people won't like what we say. They won't understand what we believe. People are fearful. People are afraid. And when people are afraid, they do and say strange things, or we do and say strange things. So we have to fear not and tell the truth. And that's why I say, but we do it without hating. So if, especially with Christmas and Thanksgiving coming, and we want to fight and argue and 
get indigestion around the Thanksgiving turkey <laughs> and all of that. Because that's what will happen. If you argue with your family and loved ones, that's going to happen. So I yeah. absolutely. You heard it agree. first, family. This is a healthcare uh, issue here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, Dr. King, I, I just want to say thank you uh, for my wife. And I wish she could actually be on this podcast. We've had the honor of. Um, uh, watching you speak uh, different yeah. places across the country and uh, didn't have time to connect with you at the march, but I'm so glad to be able to interact now. You, you often speak of abortion being rooted in racism and, and, and it's a it's a conundrum because, you know, you, you know, every election cycle you hear that Afri Democrat uh, African-Americans go to church more than Republican white Republicans. And but yet uh, we tend to be prayerfully pro-life, but politically pro-abortion, uh, you know, 80, 85 to 95. 90% of us voting pro-choice, even though we say we are pro-life. If, if it hadn't been for abortion, we'd, our population, they say, would be about 48% greater than it is right now. So we're still sitting at 13.5% of the population. Like, What, what would you say to those that, that tend to be prayerfully pro-life, but uh, politically pro-abortion? I see that here in Georgia, for example, and without being too political with that, I was on Fox News earlier uh, this week and I've been writing some more op-eds and things like that. Now, we have a gubernatorial candidate who says that, well, we've got inflation and all these problems. Yeah. And what we have to do now is to make sure that there's access to abortion because people, inflation is high. I'm paraphrasing, but that's what the candidate yeah. says. Inflation is high because we have too many children. And then we're often told in our community that African-American women definitely need abortions because we're more likely to die in childbirth. Now that's mm -hmm. an odd thing, but my point is this, if you make people afraid and they're afraid that they can't eat, they're afraid that they can't live, they'll buy anything, they'll go for anything that you put in front of them. Margaret Sanger, founder of Planned Parenthood, certainly knew and understood that. Mm. And so uh, same thing, we got that CRT situation, critical race theory. Uh, yeah. and, and, and we wanted to teach, we have to teach that it, critical race theory should be taught in school, that it is racist, that it is divisive, that it is socialist, that it is Marxist. Now, I dare anybody to put that in the textbooks. So that's what needs to be taught in school. Oh, I, yeah. I, have to, I have to read this quote from uh, Margaret Sanger, uh, founded the American Birth Control League, which later became Planned Parenthood. She said, we should hire three or four colored ministers, preferably with social service backgrounds and with engaging personalities. The most successful educational approach to the Negro it's through a religious appeal. We don't want the word to go out that we want to exterminate the Negro population. And the minister is the man who can straight us, straighten out that idea if it ever occurs to any of their more rebellious members. Um, she actually said that. And here we are, uh, you know, acting like they are uh, an angel of light. Exodus 1 uh, talks about uh, when the king of Egypt went to the Hebrew midwives and said, when when the women are pregnant, help the Hebrew women in childbirth. Uh, and if it is a boy, 
kill them, but if it is a girl, let it live. But the scripture yeah. says, and I know you're you're very familiar with this, uh, Dr. King, the midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. Absolutely. And so they let the boys live. And the blessing of that obedience was that he increased them in numbers and gave them families of their own. But according to Stacey Abrams, that's a curse, not a blessing. It is. And those things need to actually be recorded in our history books, along with everything right. else. It should be written in our history books that we are one blood and one human race and that we can learn to live together as brothers and sisters and not perish together as fools. So we need to flip that narrative and, narrative and reframe the truth. And as we do that, then people will be encouraged and people will be enlightened. You quoted the scripture there. So let me give you another one. One reason that many people in minority communities are, are frightened and scared and will believe anything. Remember when God said to Moses, go over and tell the people that I want them to be free and I'm going to set them free. And Moses said they won't hear. They won't listen because they've been so sorely and deeply oppressed. So mm. fear and oppression. And that works regardless of skin color and ethnicity. That's because right. we still have people now. Uh, who are Caucasian and uh, going according to skin color and that kind of things, being afraid to do what's right by all people from the womb to the tomb into eternity, regardless of skin color, regardless to the gestational age in the womb. And so people begin to be afraid. And that's where racism comes from, thinking that we are separate races according to skin color. Now, people are still making the mistake of, oh, I don't see see race. I don't see skin color. I'm colorblind. Well, Jesus gives sight to the blind. We see ethnicity. And it's beautiful. <laughs> so see ethnicity. <laughs> celebrate ethnicity. Don't fear and don't ignore ethnicity. Some of y'all going to catch that later. You're going to have to watch the podcast twice to catch that one. That was, that was some good stuff right <laughs> So Dr. King, we're, we're doing two of my favorite things right now. We're talking about faith and we're talking about politics. Um, and, you know, we're, we're in that election season right now where the one thing we hear a lot from churches, they, this is where churches start getting, uh, you know, weak at the knees a lot of times and are afraid to talk about the importance of, of Christians voting, of Christians being involved uh, in politics. Um, what do you say to those churches uh, that, uh, that or, or pastors that are afraid? To, and again, we're not talking about turning churches into political rallies or, or, or having churches endorse political parties even. Um, but being willing to speak to issues that the world might call political. Um, what do you say to, to, to churches that are, are concerned or don't know how to do that? Well, let me go back to the Bible and, and connect the Old Testament with the New Testament there. It is not time the prophets ran uh, from Jezebel and went into the caves. And we kept saying a time came when the prophets had to come out of the caves we also know that the people during uh, the time that uh, people were liber the people were liberated from Egypt, they were told to go into your house and close the door. And when I see the blood, I will pass by that. Mm -hmm. But there's a time to open that door and come out freely and to proclaim your liberty in the United States of America, still under the blood of Jesus. So staying at home and staying behind a closed door and not coming out to vote will not get us the results that we want. It is a blessing, it is an honor, it's a privilege to vote, it's an opportunity. So do not stay at home. Of course, the blood of Jesus is still alive and strong in us. 
but we don't have to hide at home anymore and we don't have to hide in the caves. We can come out into the light of the day. We are the truth and the light. Jesus is the light of the world, the way, the truth and the life. And because of that, and because he lives, we can freely come out and take our beautiful opportunities given to us in the Constitution of the United States of America. For instance, to responsibly bear arms, not to abusively bear arms, not fearfully bear arms, but responsibly. We can look at life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness for everybody from the womb to the tomb, regardless of skin color, gestational age, and that includes the elderly and we don't want to euthanize people because they're inconvenient. There are so many things. When our economy is uh, damaged as it is today under the current administration, it is time and opportunity. It's not too late to buy our vote and by faith to help this nation be a God-fearing, in God we trust, returning to God nation. We actually are still a Christian nation. The reason people can say America is not a Christian nation, the Christians are too silent. Come out of the house, come out of the caves. It's okay to open that door and still be covered by the blood of Jesus. That's just so important. You know, one of the things, you know, when you read the history of your uncle, uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, uh, that was, you know, obviously his faith was so influential into what he did. Everything you just said was a lot of his motivating uh, factors for, for speaking out so boldly in the public square as a, as a pastor. Um, but one of the other really cores of his message was nonviolence. Um, and when we look at uh, what a lot of the folks saying they're carrying the civil rights banner of the day um, in uh, groups like uh, Black Lives Matter, BLM, and other uh, other organizations, um, they at times if they don't outright, um, you know, they, they don't denounce violence, and a lot of times they endorse violent means of of making a mess of delivering their political message. Uh, can you speak to why, in as a political movement, uh, and I think this is important, why even for Christians, why we don't ever resort to violence in, in these situations, why nonviolence is is such an was so important to your uncle. And why uh, it's important for any political movement that wants to be successful. I thank you. I want to take a moment to answer that question and to give you two men of example. My uncle, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., was a nonviolent, God-fearing, God-loving man. And he taught and walked those principles throughout his life. He got the model of nonviolence from Gandhi. However, he got the model of faith, hope, and love from Jesus Christ. And he put those two together. My grandfather, Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Sr., when his wife, Alberta King, was shot in 1974, playing the organ at Ebenezer Baptist Church, and she, was, she died as a result of those wounds, he went to the hospital of the man who killed his wife, an African-American man, and said, I forgive you. You have taken the most precious thing away from me in this life, and yet I forgive you. Now, he didn't riot. He didn't demand that something be torn down or somebody be killed in retribution. He forgave and he loved. My father, Reverend Alfred Daniel Williams King, A.D. King, two times gave me strong lessons that I still live by today. When our home was bombed in 1963, we escaped with our lives, but the house was destroyed. Daddy came out and said to the people, don't riot. 
we are okay. My family and I are okay. If you have to hit somebody, hit me. But I would rather you go home and pray. Because mm-hmm. daddy stood there, the people who lived there actually went home. And the outside agitators who were causing the violent acts were exposed. Mm-hmm. And finally, when my uncle, Uncle ML, was killed, my daddy rocked me in his arms. I wanted to hate somebody. And mm-hmm. I, I thought I'd say I'd hate white people. That sounded good because they killed my uncle. And my daddy said, no. White people didn't kill my brother, your uncle. White people march with us. White people pray with us. White people go to jail with us. White people die with us. He reminded me of Acts 17, 26, of one blood. God made all people. These are our brothers and sisters. He said, the devil killed my brother. And so he rocked me in his arms and talked to me about love and forgiveness. My mother has still... She's been an example of love and forgiveness all these years. She's 91 in a few days, birth today. So faith, hope, and love, we have to forgive. We have to repent. We have to treat each other, regardless of ethnicity, as brothers and sisters. And as we do that here in America today, in the 21st century, let's take hope and take courage and continue. Let's help these pregnancy care centers. Let's help get more good legislation on the books. Let's love and forgive. Let's get healing for men and women who've been impacted by abortion. And for the babies who have already gone back to be with God, we thank God for that. But let's stop killing people. Let's love. Let's really be brothers and sisters and give that example. Amen. That's, yeah. that, that's an amazing, powerful point to end Thank on, you. Dr. King. Thank you so much for, for being gracious with your time, for the testimony that you uh, carry yeah. every day. What a gift. Amen. And thank you to our, our production company, uh, Wessler Media and Vince Tornero, and for Grace Rose and Mike Andrews and Claire Dyson for helping produce this podcast. And we'll thank be you. back here next time on The Narrative. <laughs> <laughs>